And good evening, good evening, Los Angeles, California. Welcome to Apologetics.com Radio, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. My name is John Noyes. I am your host tonight, and we have a, a rare occasion, a rare occasion. I am alone in the studio, which means anything can go wrong. No, it's good to be with you guys because I'm not truly alone. I have you listening in. Uh, with me, and, and that means tonight, I would love to to hear from you, our faithful listeners. Uh, you can reach us at eight 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 nine nine five 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 two. That's eight 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 nine nine five 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 two. And I really would love to hear from you, especially tonight. If I'm uh, dragging on here, I'd rather uh, not hear myself talk, and I'd rather uh, answer any questions that you guys might have, whether they be in the area of values, ethics, religion. Of course, apologetics. Uh, give us a call at 888-995-5552, and I'll make sure to get them. And I was thinking, man, what what should I was thinking all day? Like, what should what, what should we talk about tonight with you guys? I knowing I'm going to be alone in the studio, and uh, I don't know if you guys know me very well. Like, uh, just personally speaking, uh, my my main job, my real job. This is just fun here at apologetics.com Radio. I just do it uh, volunteer basis and have a good time. I've been doing it now for. Gosh, I don't know, six to eight years or something. I have no idea. Time flies. But um, my real job is I work for an organization called Stand to Reason. And you can check out our work at str.org. And uh, I travel around now the world and, and give talks and uh, centered largely on, on what we talk about here at apologetics.com. Uh, you know, answering some what we, we hope to be answering the toughest questions that are posed to Christianity, helping train Christians to think more critically about the Christian worldview, but then also helping prepare them and prepare you guys to, to go out and actually contend for the Christian worldview, bring it to the, the table of ideas. And I wanted to share with you guys something that I've been actually talking a lot about over the last four years or so at, at Stand to Reason. There's one talk that is requested uh, one topic, I should say, that's requested more than every other topic. And uh, and it, it's actually not even one that's, I mean, at first, at first hearing, it's not necessarily to do with Christian apologetics, at least not traditionally speaking. But it's a, it's a topic that I think is extremely important. One that I'm not sure if I've, I've talked about here at, at uh, on the radio show or not, but uh, one that I guarantee you has affected probably everybody who's listening. If it's not currently affecting you, it, 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 it's maybe affected a, a friend of yours or family member, a coworker, and it's the issue of actually suicide, and um, and it's a really difficult topic. And I'd I'd love just to share with you guys a few things kind of about what I've been learning. And it's actually 30% of the time that I'm requested to speak, uh, 30% of the time, uh, the this this topic is is requested for me to uh, kind of hit up. And so so there's something going on. And, and my recent reading and research now uh, has kind of led to the understanding and the belief that this is actually a major issue. It's not getting any better. Um, so for some of you guys tonight, as, as, as I'm talking, I'd, I'd love to hear from you and then feel free, please, to give me a call at, uh, at any time. And I would love to, uh, to take any questions that you might have. I want to say up front, if, if you are wrestling with the idea of suicide, if you're contemplating suicide, I'd love for you to listen to the entirety of the show. But then also don't just stop at listening to the show. You got to reach out and get some help. And we're going to go through how you can do that. But um, but if you're right now on the, on really really wrestling, uh, you really do need to talk to somebody. And I want to I'm going to say the hotline number throughout the show is uh, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is nine eight eight on your phone nine eight eight. Just dial that number, and there'll be somebody on the other line willing to talk to you. But not only talk to you, but point you to some possible resources to get you the help that you need, um, because you are valuable. Uh, you are worthy of life and dignity and respect, and you're worthy of my time. Um, so, so with that, let me let me just kind of dig in here. You know, uh, uh, this has been a popular topic for me, and then let's see how it goes tonight. Again, if you want to give me a call, 888-995-5552, and I'd love to chat with you about this and hear your story, see where you're at, and possibly answer any of the questions you have. But uh, for some of you guys, this is going to, mm, it's really going to strike a chord with you. It might be even a turning point. I hope it's a turning point. 
uh, for you if you're wrestling with suicide. And it has very little to do with me or or really um, the things I'm going to say, but it has to do with everything with where you're at currently right now uh, in your life. Or maybe it's because of something that a friend is possibly facing right now, something you're walking through right now with somebody else. Um, and and I, I love to ask a question here. If, if you're listening, do you, do you guys know who... Uh, John Newton was. I, I would imagine that many of you do, but a lot of you guys don't. As I'm on the road, a lot of people actually don't know who John Newton was. Um, but then I asked the question, hey, does, does anybody know the, the the song Amazing Grace? And almost everybody knows the song Amazing Grace. He wrote Amazing Grace, John Newton did, and, and it's, a, it's a hymn, and it, 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 it's a hymn that resounds with a a message of, of hope, and uh, in it we, we find words like these, words like these. The Lord hath promised good to me, his word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Right, and, and even now in studio by myself here in the dead of night, right in the morning, uh, the, when I read these words and think about the rest of the words that this, this hymn by Newton sings... Um, um, it's a, it, it, the, the words are, are sweet and they're encouraging and, and, uh, and I'm, I'm filled with hope and, uh, and, and Newton wrote them in order to inspire people. I mean, he was a slave trader, uh, that, that had realized what he was doing was wrong and turned his back on that and repented. And, uh, and he did a lot during his life. And one of the things that he did during his life is he, he was a really good friend. And this is why I'm bringing him up. Because uh, some of you right now that are listening, maybe you need a friend or, or maybe you can be a friend to somebody. But John Newton was a friend to a, a, a gentleman named William Cooper. William Cooper uh, was also a famous hymn writer, but, but uh, most don't know that he was John Newton's actually closest friend. And, and here's something that he wrote. Listen to these words, if you will. Uh, altogether different words than that hymn, Amazing Grace. Uh, Cooper, he wrote, encompassed with a thousand dangers. Weary, faint, trembling with a thousand terrors, I, in a fleshly tomb, am buried above ground. You see, the reason why I'm starting with this at the, t- the, at the onsite of this, uh, this topic is because uh, it's fortunate that William Cooper had a friend, and such a good friend, in John Newton, because William Cooper was plagued f- for years and years with a deep depression and overwhelming thoughts of, of suicide. And, and John Newton saved uh, his life. And on many occasions, he, he stepped in and, and was able to be a, an amazing friend and saved William Cooper from taking his own life. Uh, William Cooper, and he had a friend. And it made all the difference in the world. And, and there are some of you guys who are listening right now. There are some of you guys that are listening uh, tonight uh, who, who love Jesus. But you might still feel the anguish that William uh, Cooper felt. Uh, there's, there's some of you that are listening right now who, who have friends who love Jesus and, and, and they feel like William Cooper uh, felt and and then there's a, there's a, there's another group altogether. There's some of you who have non-Christian friends, or maybe you're listening to this and you don't know who Jesus is, or you're very far from Him, and you feel like William Cooper hit. You feel like William Cooper did, and those words resonate with you as I just expressed them. And, and whatever group you represent this evening, I'm glad that you're listening. I'm glad that you're tuning in to KKLA. I'm glad that you're tuning into Apologetics.com Radio. Uh, because uh, th- th- I want to, I want to try to offer you whatever help I can, um, and and much like like John Newton helped William Cooper, I want to be uh, at least a temporary friend to you. And 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 so here's what I'd like to do with our time. We've got I don't know a, a probably total of 48 minutes or so left in the show. That includes our break. Um, I I I I'd like to hmm I'd like to give you guys some tools. That even after I'm off the air this evening, that you can use to help address the issue of suicide or mental illness uh, in your own life, or or maybe in the life of uh, someone who's who's close to you. And I want to say that I kind of fell into this topic. I don't personally uh, wrestle with with suicidal ideations or anxiety or depression. Typically, I mean, I, I fall into depression every once in a while, like everybody else. I think. 
Um, but the way I the way I fell into this topic is is I was at a, a, a Dallas conference. It's called the Reality Student Apologetics Conference. It's a huge uh, conference that we do at Stand to Reason. We have six locations, and there was a breakout session on suicide at this student apologetics conference, and uh, it was put on the <coughs> excuse me. It was supposed to be. Uh, presented by the pastor of the church that was that's hosting us, and he wasn't able to do it for whatever reason. And we were like, "Hey, it's just a talk on suicide. It doesn't have a place at apologetics at an apologetics conference." So um, we didn't really think much about it until we saw the numbers of people that were filling the room. And me being the new guy at Stand to Reason, I volunteered to take the topic on. And as I have, I have to tell you guys, the impact has been un. Believable, Like I said at the onset, though, it's very little to do with me and everything to do with where uh, you guys are at, where the culture is at right now. So um, as, as you sit there and listen and, and, and take this stuff in, do feel free to call me and remember that 988 number if you need help immediately. If you it's an emergency, you need to call. But listen to my words this evening, because what I'd like to do is, is like I said, give you these tools to address the, the issue of suicide in your own life or in the life of a friend. And the way that I'm going to do that is I'm, gonna, I'm just going to jump into to some some questions to answer. And they go like this. It's the first one is, why is this important? The second is, why do people contemplate suicide? And then the third is, will ends with being super practical. What can we do? And, and to simply put, guys, why is this important? There are a ton of people that are struggling with this. And this is the first principle. If you guys are listening uh, and you take nothing away from the next 45 minutes or so together this evening, I want you to know that you are not alone. See, you're going to want to believe right now as you're sitting wherever it is that you're sitting, and you might be wrestling with with some tremendous difficulties, some things that I probably can't even understand because I've never been through them, but I know that you're not alone. There's a lot of people who struggle with depression, anxiety, and suicide. Uh, according to the CDC, uh, suicide rates, they've climbed more than 30% in the last 20 years. More than twice as many people die by suicide every year than are murdered in this country. I don't know if you guys knew this, but this is staggering to me that suicide is the second leading cause of death for those aged 10 to 34. And it's the fourth leading cause of death for those aged 35 to 54 in this country. 12% of American college. Now, this is, this is actually an outdated statistic. 12% of American college age students seriously contemplated suicide. Uh, or used to seriously contemplate suicide every year. Um, and when I say contemplated suicide, what I mean is they made a detailed plan, when, where, and how. That was uh, that, that, that number is old. In the last, I'd say, probably 20 months or so, the last two years, the CDC has come out with new numbers, and that number has skyrocketed now to 25.5%. 25.5% of American college-age students seriously consider suicide every academic year. Um, and, and the numbers, they're not getting better, you know, um, they're, they're, they're not getting better at all. Uh, more than uh, 110 people take their life every single year. I mean, every single day, there's uh, four, th four, every hour suicides, every hour, one, every 13 minutes. And, and then none of these numbers are mentioning the 25 attempts for every one sex successful suicide or the nearly more than 1 million ER visits attributed to suicide attempts each year. So why is this important? It's, it's important to understand that this is, this is way more common than many of us would like to think. It's important because if you've thought about dying by suicide, or perhaps you have a friend uh, who's, who's thought about dying by suicide or they're thinking about it currently, uh, you're not alone. You might feel like you're alone, but you're not alone. The numbers don't lie. I know this because I travel all over the world giving uh, this, uh, th this information to varying audiences from, uh, from middle school age kids all the way up to uh, you know, uh, older adults. And the rooms are always packed. I know that you're not alone if you're wrestling because I see it every single time I go and give, the, give this uh, a talk centered on this topic. You know, for, for me, uh, my first call as a pastor, I was a pastor at a large church in Newbury Park, California, um, in the Conejo Valley. Uh, and my first call on their emergency hotline, we had an after-hours number that you could call and get some help if we were if the offices were closed. It was, a, it was a mom and a dad who were calling for advice as their adult son locked himself in their bedroom and, uh, and threatened to shoot himself with his handgun. That is a happy ending that that gentleman 
has uh, has moved on and he's he lived and and now he actually helps uh, he 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 helps run a, um, a facility a, a intake facility down in downtown LA now uh, helping people with addiction issues. Uh, but my experience with suicide doesn't start there. In 2011, my cousin Derek, he shot himself. Um, and uh, as I was compiling this information four years ago, starting to consider how I was going to address this topic, one of my first roommates from California, Stephen, he uh, died by suicide, leaving behind a beautiful wife and, a, and an amazing little boy. Um, you see, I think that this issue, it touches us all. It has me and <clears throat> and it, it may have touched you too, if you're listening tonight, you know, and, and I don't, I want to be clear tonight. I don't come to this conversation as a, a trained apologist or a pastor or a theologian or an expert in really anything. I, I come to you this evening as just a human being who myself has been affected by the issue of suicide and, and lots of people have been affected by suicide. We, we just don't ever want to talk about it. And in this way, it's actually very similar to abortion. Right for the longest time, abortion was was never discussed, especially in the church. But but look what's happened. Once we started uh, the, the, the 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 conversation, the cultural conversation. Well, what happens is is we take these issues that we don't want to deal with because they're they're filled, they're riddled with guilt and shame. So we relegate them to the dark corners of even our churches. But once we pull them out of the ch- out of the corners of the churches, that darkness, we allow the light of the gospel to shine on them, and we see healing. The cultural tide begins to shift, and when we bring the issue out of those dark corners where sin is festering, we we shine the gospel on it, and and the cultural tide shifts, and we literally see lives saved. This is true of the issue of abortion, and I think the same thing can happen with this difficult issue of suicide as well. And and then in the process, like I said, I'm I'm convinced lives can be saved, guys. You know, so so why is this important? Well, we need to let these types of issues, we need to let them break our hearts uh, and, and move towards them with the truth of, of who we are according to the true story of reality, allowing compassion and love for other people to, to, to lead the way as we pursue uh, the answer to questions that, that everybody's asking, the why question. You know, why do people contemplate suicide? So why is this important? Our first question, it's a lot of people wrestling with it, guys. We can't ignore it. When we ign- when we ignore these big issues, uh, nothing good happens. You see, the Christian worldview is true. This is a case. This is something that we argue for every every uh, every weekend here on the radio program. And and when we say the Christian worldview is true, what I mean is it accurately reflects reality, the way the world really is. I don't believe in Christianity because it makes me feel good or solves some type of problem. Sometimes it does make me feel good and it does solve an awful lot of problems, but I believe in it because it's true. It's the true story of reality. And, uh, and, and we need to bring this truth to the most fundamental and difficult questions of life. And when in this case, we do have answers and we're going to see that in a second. So, so why do, why do people contemplate suicide. Well, you know, some of the, some of the reasons in the literature uh, the, the, the seem to indicate that's a closing in of circumstances in one's life and, and they just can't take it anymore. So they, they just want to die. You know, sometimes the, the reasons that people give, if you look in the literature and some of you guys might be able to testify to this, um, testify this personally. Um, it, it sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's, uh, relational substance use and abuse often factor in. You know, other reasons are, are anger, jealousy, depression, the self-pity, pride, shame, guilt, uh, escape from pain, loneliness, isolation, <laughs> rejection. All of these things are reasons why. But ultimately, the answer to the question finds its beginning in a lie that people believe. And that lie is that somehow you're better off dead than alive. But why do you believe that? Why do people think that they're better off dead than alive? Well, it's because they've lost hope. And then why do people lose hope? Well, the answer here, I think, varies according to your worldview. Christians and non-Christians, we both lose hope, but for different reasons. And then I, I'd like to look at both of these things separately, Christian and non-Christian, why they lose hope. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and But I'm going to take a phone call first here. We're going to go to uh, line one. And let's see here. Hello. Are you, are you with me here at Apologetics.com Radio? I'm here. Hey, man, what's your first name? I, I'm sorry. Normally we have notes. I don't have any notes in front of me on you on who's calling. It's a friend of yours. I've been on the show a couple of times. 
calling from the United Kingdom. Andrew, man. Birmingham. <laughs> How are you? Man, I am so much better than I deserve, uh, but I'm missing you, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I've been listening to you. I thought I'm going to get up 7 o'clock and tune in. Tune in and have a, have a listen. Right on, man. <laughs> How's it going? Yeah. Yeah, going okay. So I got back a week ago, and uh, I've been listening to you, and I just wanted to uh, just share a few thoughts with you, just share a story of my friend. I think I've mentioned him to you before. He's John as well. He's a mm -hmm. Jonathan. Uh, he's uh, from the Channel Islands in, in Guernsey in particular, and uh, we visited a few years ago, my family and I, and both his parents were brought up there. But um, that's where his his grandmother passed away when he was a young man, young lad. And his granddad, of course, was devastated at the time. But his mum was living in the UK and would visit Guernsey as often as possible. But on one visit, she recalls her dad, this is John's granddad, telling her to take a, a, a long, hard look. Now, the airport in Guernsey, it's not massive. It has a visitor's bay. So she recalls going to the visitor's bay and waving her goodbye. Uh, but he waved in a way that he had not done before. And he was in his late 50s, still fit and healthy, but very lonely and feeling unable to cope without his wife. And not long after that, the Guernsey Press, the newspaper, printed a front-page story about a top fisherman who had taken his own life. That was over 30 years ago. And still the ripples from that tragic event, they roll on today. Mm. And as the kids were told, they were told, hey, granddad died of a broken heart. Only 15 years later were they told the truth. And, and John recalls it being almost as raw as the day that his mum found out. And that pain that John's granddad felt, it didn't disappear that day. Yeah. Quite the opposite. It was simply transferred, magnified and multiplied to others. So... You know, he thought that by doing that, that would end it, but it didn't. And it still carries on today because John's a father today and he's taken, in fact, the kids, they went over this summer. Um, and it's still, there's that sense where they're going to, at some point, maybe explain what happened to, to, to granddad. But they're Christians. They have a faith in, in Christ. So that makes, that makes a difference because there is someone they can go to. And you, you were talking about friends, and you've been a great friend to me, John. I appreciate that. Um, but you, you talked about a hymn by William Cooper. I thought of one straight away by a guy called uh, Scriven, I think his name is. Um, and it's the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, <laughs> written in 1855 uh, by this guy, Joseph Scriven, who was uh, you know, bereft with all kinds of uh, disappointments in life, illnesses, a fiancé, maybe a couple of fiancés that died. He, he wrote it to comfort his sick mother. Possibly, they think, the night to the death of his second fiancé. Um, and he, there's a line in it that says, take it to the Lord in prayer. And, you know, God walks with us through all these challenges. And that's one of the beauties of the Christian worldview, is that there is somewhere for that pain to go and be completely absorbed and not transferred to everybody else because Jesus, he absorbs that because he was able to conquer death and go through all the things that we could never imagine in order to walk us through the, the, these, these, these dark times in our lives. And that's just what I thought of. I, I thought also that you've been walking with me through uh, my sister's uh, illness. She's, she's, still in the, the boarding care, she's getting weaker, but I know that I've got friends, I know that I've got you, so, uh, and, and others, you know, that I've mentioned, um, most of all, I've got the Lord who walks with us, even in the valley of the shadow of death. Amen, brother. So I just wanted to share that with you, um, and share <laughs> that with your listeners, and, and I want to say thank you to you for for, for being a good friend. <laughs> well, you're a good friend to me, too, you know. It's uh, it's it's easy being a friend to you, Andrew, and um, yeah, I think you bring up some like I mean a number of really great points, 
uh, ends, it, uh, and I love the way that you actually said it. The, the pain doesn't end with the, the person who dies by suicide; it's just transferred to other people. And oftentimes, yeah. uh, the people that, that, that when we're wrestling in the throes of our difficulties, right, uh, we we don't realize the impact that our death, especially our death if it's by suicide, will actually have on yeah. uh, on, on the people who love us most. Oftentimes, um, so. Uh, yeah, man, that's, I think it's a really, uh, a really, really good point. And, and the importance of friendship, too, which is, which is where I'll get a little bit later after the break. We'll be talking about some more practical points. And one of them is, is just living and in, leaning into the community of God. It's one of the best things about the community of God is that we have each other. We're brothers and sisters, not brought together by our own DNA, but by the blood of Christ. And that's a, that's a bond that can never be broken. And so we can yeah. live that out. We don't have to wait for heaven to live that out. We, we, we live that out here and now. So we need to drop uh, our fronts and our, our uh, kind of, you know, um, what the things that we put on ourselves trying to act a certain way. We just need to be vulnerable and real with one another, especially when we start talking about the, the more difficult things of life and when we're struggling. Because I know people are struggling. We just don't talk about it. But, uh, but I yeah. appreciate you, Andrew. Thanks for calling. Yeah, well, I just I thought I'll leave it there. Uh, I'm off to London today with uh, my good lady wife. We're going to um, an ordination service for a friend who's becoming ordained as a as a minister in the Church of England, I think. Super. Uh, so, but he's he's doing a, a good job out there. We're a bit nervous about all that's happening in London at the moment. Yeah, as you may have heard of with everything that's reverberating from the Middle East. But, uh, you know, we trust the Lord will go with us. And just and be smart. A kind of <laughs> of, yeah, there's a different kind of threat of suicide with things like this. Yeah. Um, people using it in ways that I suppose it's a, an ideology. But, hey, I won't go into that. I just wanted to <laughs> thank you for your show and thank you for your friendship and uh, all the best to you and the, and the listeners. And I, I, for anyone who's struggling out there, I just pray that they'll they'll find solace in, in, in the one who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Amen, brother. I love that. Uh, you know, awesome. Hey, thanks yeah. for calling in. Good luck in London today. Thank you so much. All the best to you, John. You as well. Tell, and, and my best to, uh, to your wife as well. Likewise. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Andrew is a very good man. He's, he was on the last two shows with me, if you guys remember, <clears throat> and he was in town taking care of his sister who we're praying for. And I want to continue to pray for her. There's restoration and healing in the name of Jesus, and uh, it can happen. I believe in that. I believe in miracles because I live in a supernatural world. It's not a naturalistic world. Um, so we could be praying for his sister. And, but now he's home safe, which is nice uh, with, with his wife and his, his two daughters um, in Birmingham. So thanks for calling in. Um, before, before I took his, uh, his timely call, you know, talking about friendships and, and, and how we, uh, how we can kind of combat some of, we started talking a little bit about how we can combat some of these, some of these, uh, these ideas, especially having to do with suicide. Um, we were asking the question, why have, why do, why do people lose hope? You know, because they believe, these people believe a lie that they're better off dead than alive. But then why do they believe that lie? Well, it's often because they lose hope and, and that answer varies, I was saying, according to what worldview we have. You know, Christians and non-Christians, we lose hope, and then, but for different reasons, and some, some of them overlap. Um, and I, I'd like to specifically just start with the non-Christian, the non-believer, why do they lose hope? And when I started doing this research for this topic, uh, one of the things that came to, to, to my mind, at least, in answering this question was mental illness. And, and, and that's certainly a factor, and I think the Christian church could be better at addressing mental illness for sure. Um, but I think it's important to look at the data. And, and, and when I looked at the data, what I was seeing, and I'm still seeing it today, is 54% of people who die by suicide don't have uh, a previous diagnosis with a mental illness. And then at the same time, during the last 20 years, we've seen amazing strides in medical advances, and we're able to treat anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, uh, multiple personality disorder and just about anything else like more effectively than any other time in history and then today we we have a better understanding of how the brain works than we've ever had yet suicide rates continue to rise so with these advances in, in science and medicine and technology shouldn't we expect to see a dramatic decrease well i think we need to look more deeply 
than 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 uh, than most of the a lot of the literature is saying, and it's become clear to me. And this is really where apologetics starts to come into it, guys. Uh, it's become clear to me that as the Judeo-Christian influences wane in our culture, suicide rates have climbed, and there's been a shift of ideas, and, and ideas have consequences. I love the way John Stone Street says it. John Stone Street says, ideas have consequence, and bad ideas have victims. And there have been a lot of victims due to some very bad ideas. And then one of those bad ideas is naturalism. Our, our culture has been heavily influenced by naturalism. You know, it's a worldview. Some, 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 uh, some people call it materialism or physicalism or atheism. And those things, there's slight differences. There's differences in these things um, for sure. But for our conversation, uh, we can use those terms interchangeably for tonight. Um, and the reason why we know them by these different names is it's the idea that that everything that exists is in the physical realm and everything happens by a, a purely naturalistic uh, process. And, and one of the one of the famous materialists, he's an atheist, uh, Carl Sagan, uh, he says this, and I, I love reading the atheists because they're at least honest. Well, most of them are honest. A lot of them are honest and they're actually kind of poetic. He says, you know, the nitrogen in our DNA, the calcium in our teeth, the iron in our blood and the carbon in our apple pies we're all made in the interiors of collapsing stars. We're all made of star stuff. <laughs> I mean, how, how poetic, right? And it, but it doesn't make sense. It not makes doesn't make sense of reality, you know, because what he's saying is that we're just a random quantification of molecules dancing to our DNA, meat suits in motion, you know. But is that who we really are, you know? And and does it matter if if the atheists are right or the naturalists are right? You know, it does matter. Um, it does matter. And we're going to look at why that matters when we get back uh, online here after our 90-second break at Apologetics.com radio. I'll be right back with you. We're talking about suicide. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Everyone has ideas about God. Unfortunately, many people hold false ideas about him, and these ideas have consequences. Some false ideas have led people to worship a God of their own making, while others have led people to reject God altogether. This year, we've devoted an entire conference to answering the most common false ideas about God. Is God anti-gay? Is God good? Do Muslims and Christians worship the same God? These are just a few of the topics we'll be addressing. The only way to guard against false ideas is to fill our minds with true ideas. So join me and a number of other speakers at one of this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences. Find out more information about Rethink by going to RethinkApologetics.com. That's RethinkApologetics.com. The Pastor Scott Show on 99.5 KKLA. My wife, if I am putting on an outfit... And it's not appropriate for where we're going. She wouldn't say that's an inappropriate outfit, which is probably what I would actually prefer be said to be frank. Instead, she looks at me and she goes, is that what you're wearing? That's happened a lot in our marriage. But you know, the truth is, is I'm glad that she does that because I don't know. You know, there's a passage in James where it talks about the man who looks in the mirror and sees himself and walks away and doesn't make any changes. And that that's the foolish guy just like us when we look into the scriptures and we read it and we understand it and we don't make any changes. You know what's interesting about that passage? In an era where there is a lot of Bible translation that will translate generic people as men and women or brothers and sisters, in that passage it's a different word. The word there is men. The word there is not female, it's man. Like a man who looks in the mirror and notices that he looks like a slob, but he doesn't change. See, women don't do that, generally. Right? Women go to the mirror and examine themselves. And, and if they see something wrong, they'll go fix it. If I see something wrong, I'll say, oh, it's a bad hair day. And I'll just keep going. The whole point of all this is not to make fun, but to point out that men and women are different and it's okay. That's why we work well together. That is how we are made to do things. The Pastor Scott Show is live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. on 99.5 KKLA. Find hope here. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. And just like that, we're back. We are back with you. This Apologetics.com radio, where we challenge believers to think and think is to believe. Uh, feel free to give me a call, uh, 888-995-5552, 888-995-KKLA. 
The topic at hand tonight is suicide, and um, it's not your typical topic for an apologetic show, but we're starting to dig into why I think it's relevant. Uh, we're starting to talk about worldview issues. We started off by answering the question, why is it important that we take a look at this issue? And we saw that the numbers are just staggering, like it's the second leading cause of death for ages 10 to 34 in this country. First is accidents. Many of those accidental deaths are misattributed suicides. And uh, we, we learned that there's more than a, a, a million emergency room visits every year attributed to suicide. And that's uh, for every one success, there's 25 attempts. This is uh, simply a, a big issue. There's a lot of people who are wrestling with it. So it's important that we take a look at it because as with everything, worldviews matter. And we talked, we, we, we saw that a lot of people give different reasons as to why they contemplate suicide, but it matters our worldview here. It matters what we believe about the nature of reality, the way the world really is. Believers and non-believers, we both wrestle. We both believe the lie that we're better off dead than alive. We both uh, find ourselves at times often uh, with, without hope, and that's understandable. I want to let you guys know, if you're a Christian and you're listening to this, I want to let you know that it's okay to be wrestling. I think sometimes we're told that it's, it's not okay to doubt. It's not okay to ask hard questions. It's not okay. Like, why isn't my life perfect? Well, uh, we just got to look at the nature of the world, and we got to look at the story of, of, the, of, of, of the Bible and I think we have a good understanding as to why things aren't the way that it's supposed to be. The Bible not only explains it, but it predicts that we're going to have difficulties, right? In this world, you will have tribulation, is what Jesus says. But I have overcome the world. He says, be comforted. I have overcome the world, is what Jesus says. Take comfort in that, believer. But, but either way, we struggle. You know, we, we struggle. And, and, and so, so uh, what I said is our, our culture has been influenced by a worldview of naturalism, the idea that everything that exists is the product of a purely physical process. And we're just a random quantification of molecules dancing to our DNA. We're just bags of chemicals, meat suits in motion. And, and, and if we believe this about ourselves, it, 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 it matters because how do we answer the fundamental questions of life? How do we answer the questions of, of things like meaning and purpose and identity? You see, on this view of naturalism, I think it's hard to see how anything at all can have meaning at all, including people. You know, how do we answer the question of, of, of meaning and purpose if everything that ever was or, or will be is just a matter in motion? And where do we derive hope from <laughs> on, on this worldview? You know, William Provine, he, he was uh, at Cornell before he died. He died of cancer, I believe, of throat cancer, maybe. Um, Really, really smart guy, like very intelligent, but he, he very candidly said this. He said, no gods, no life after death, no ultimate foundation for ethics and no ultimate meaning in life are, and no human free will are deeply connected to the evolutionary perspective. You know, Richard Dawkins, the famous new atheist, he's done a lot to further this worldview and then sew it into the culture and, and weave uh, the tapestry of atheism throughout everything. He says this, he was, and he's honest, at least. He makes this point. He says in his book, uh, in a universe of electrons and, and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice is what Dawkins says. And he goes on to say, the universe that we observe, the universe that we observe has precisely the properties that we should expect. If there is at bottom, no design, listen to these words, people, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing, but pitiless indifference. You see, naturalism tells us that life is solitary, poor, nasty, and brutish, and short. That's Leviathan, Thomas Hobbes. At least, uh, the, you know, and, 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 when, and we're told that it's a, it's a dog-eat-dog world. Get busy living and get busy dying. And, and I want to be clear about something here as we dig into the worldview perspective of naturalism and how it influences suicide. I'm not saying that if you're an atheist or if you're a materialist and you're listening and, 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 and you're wrestling, I'm not saying that your life is meaningless. I'm not saying that you even think your life is meaningless. Your life is valuable. It is. Your, your life means something. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you don't derive purpose for your life either. I think you probably believe your life has some type of purpose, but what I'm saying is I don't think that that worldview of naturalism can shoulder the burden of objective meaning and purpose. And, and, and the search for meaning and purpose, the search for hope, ultimately finds its end in ourselves on this very view. Human effort. 
pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, so to speak, you know, search for, for hope in, 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 in things like more education, more power, fame, sex, money, whatever it might be. But what happens when you fail? You, well, you have to turn inward again and you have to, and then you fail again. The cycle goes on and on. And we've seen this played out in our culture right before our very eyes. Uh, our generation has witnessed the deaths of so many people. I'm just going to name a few of them off the top of my mind. You know, we have Anthony Bourdain. A lot of you guys remember Anthony Bourdain celebrity chef and then uh, world traveler. I mean, he had what was what many considered to be the best job ever traveled the world, stayed in the best, finest hotels that ate at the, the luxurious restaurants. And then he, he died alone in a French boutique. Kate Spade, the designer, same thing. Pinnacle of success, making in the fashion world, a household name. 30 years of grinding to get there. And at the top, all she found is more of herself. She died by suicide. Kurt Cobain, we remember him. Chris Cornell, right? Chesley Christ, former Miss USA, at 30 years old, jumped out of her high-rise apartment building in Manhattan, leaving behind a baby. Pinnacle of success. Naomi Judd, more recently. Twitch, Stephen Boss. Stephen Twitch Boss. You know, the DJ from the Ellen DeGeneres show. Chester Bennington, Lincoln Park lead singer. All of these people, they're, 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 they're people who died by suicide. And, and I think it's because naturalism, in the end, they can't deliver on the promises that it makes. And it's at bottom a, a materialistic, narcissistic view of reality. And it leaves its proponents empty, ultimately believing the lie that they're better off dead than alive without hope. And friends, I, I know these things because I tried to push the boundaries of naturalism. I tried to live consistently with my worldview before Christ introduced himself to me 16 years ago. And I'll tell you, when I, when I was honest with myself, lying in my bed alone at night, in the dark of night, I, I knew that there was more. And again, if I'm being honest with you this evening, I just want to be honest with you. When I, when I, uh, when I got word of a, a friend who turned to suicide to make sense of, of, of his struggles, it made sense to me when I was an atheist. It made sense to me. I remember getting that phone call and, and somebody telling me, you know, the, he died by your, our old high school friend, a mutual friend died by suicide. No, my response was like, who cares? I remember like it was yesterday when I was an atheist. That was my response. I was living consistent with my worldview. I said, I literally said, it, 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 I guess he couldn't take the heat. So he got out of the kitchen. Oh, well, you know, but I was without hope. But I was living consistently with my worldview. But the thing is, is that there is hope. And it's a hope that's available to all people. It's a hope that's found outside of ourselves and in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. There's, there is objective purpose and meaning to life. And, and that's given to us by God and God alone. You know, and, and it's not just the non-Christian who struggles, by the way. You know, it's not just a non-Christian who struggles with, with suicide, just because we're a Christian doesn't mean we're not susceptible to the lies of the world around us. The, the reality is, friends, that, that we live in a fallen and a broken world. Paul, he said it best. He said, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Because why? He says, because the days are evil. And, and, and we need to live circumspectly. We need to live cautiously and vigilantly. This is what Paul is reminding us. He's saying, always be on alert. Why? Well, because Peter, he said it. He says, our adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You know, Christian, you might be, you might be struggling with this issue personally, or maybe you have a friend who's, who's wrestling with suicide. First, you're not alone. If it's an emergency, dial 988 right now. Turn the show off. Call 988. You're not alone. And I want to encourage us to always have our eyes wide open in order to confront the reality that we too sometimes believe that we're better off dead than alive. As, as Christians, we sometimes lose hope. And we've seen this in, in, in my neck of the woods in Southern California as, as two local pastors in recent years, unless three years have died by suicide. A really good friend of mine, Michael Adams, Mike Adams. Some of you listening know that name. He's, he's a published author, a free speech advocate. He worked at Summit Ministries as a fixture there in, in Colorado. A friend of mine that, 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 that told me I had to do this talk. I had to take on this topic because so many people are wrestling. Well, well, Mike, two years ago, shot himself. A believer in God, a brother. You know, so, some of us listening right now have Christian friends who, who, have, who have attempted or, or actually died by suicide. We aren't exempt. Friends, life is hard, but you're not alone. 
And 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 then just like with the materialist, it's it's important. Just like with the naturalist, it's important that we understand why. Why do why is the Christian lose hope? You know, naturalism at its core is is hopeless, and it's not able to prescribe ultimate meaning and purpose to life. But the Christian worldview, the control to the burden of these things, its its central message is a message of hope. So, so then, what causes a believer in Christ to lose hope to to believe this lie? It, I, and I think it has, some, it has something to do with one of two things or a combination of these two things. And then the first is that, that, that life becomes overwhelming due to loss and trials and, and, and shame and guilt in these things. And you just can't take it anymore. And, and you're looking for a way out. And then the second, it has to do with legalism. Let's take these on uh, just briefly, individually. You know, as, as, as we wrestle with the idea of why do, why do Christians contemplate suicide? I just want to share with you guys that the realities of the world that most of you guys know uh, that, 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 that the days that we live in are particularly evil. It, it's a hard world out there sometimes. But, we, but as with all issues, we need to turn to Scripture and, and, and see what Scripture has to say. And many of you might be surprised to, to know that in God's Word, we clearly see at least, at least off the top of my mind, I know seven examples of people who die by suicide. And there's, there's, there's six in the Old Testament and there's one in the New. And, and, and those ones in the Old Testament, we see that the, the lives of the people who die by suicide are char- characterized by heartache or, or guilt, shame, loss, struggle. You know, they, they each had some baggage and, and pain that they were carrying, uh, carrying around. And there was a lot of despair which led to hopelessness. And in the New Testament, you guys already know who I'm talking about. The only example... That we have who of somebody who dies by suicide is Judas, who after betraying Jesus, he he went out and he hung himself because he had so much guilt due to what he had done. You know what adds uh, particularly makes me sad <laughs> about Judas is not only that he betrayed his friend and, and rabbi, but if he had just sought forgiveness, Jesus would have forgiven him. You know, so either way, these these are the examples. There's examples of of people in the Old Testament. There's Zimri. There's uh, uh, there's there's uh, Saul and his armor bearer. Um, there's Ahithophel. Uh, these these are these are people in the Bible who who lost hope and they ended up taking their own lives due to overwhelming burdens, guilt, shame, loss, trials. But there's also examples of of, of people in the in the Bible who who were burdened, who who suffered incredible loss and trials so great that they too wanted to die, but they chose not to. And then by choosing not to, they went on to experience God's grace and love. And this part I really want to have us understand and pay attention to because because while we might lose hope in the moment, the moment doesn't tell the whole story. Don't confuse, friends, don't confuse the moment with the story. You might be struggling with 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 things that I can't even imagine. But don't confuse the moment that you find yourself in with the entire story of your life and, and especially into eternity, Christian. And more on that in a second. But, but so who are these people? Well, first we have Solomon. We all know who Solomon is, the king of uh, the cho- God's chosen king of Israel, son of David and Bathsheba. He was, he was blessed with wisdom, power, and money, and, and he had so much promise. But uh, he wasted a lot of his young life. He squandered it on sin and pleasure, if you remember. You know, so much so that when he got older and he was reflecting back on his life and he began his book, how did he begin his book? Well, he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He was saying that life is meaningless. Here's a man that had it all. He had all the money, power, sex, and fame that you could possibly want, but he still had no hope. And, and, and much like those celebrities that I just talked about, when, when Solomon got to the top, he was ultimately left disappointed. He was empty. In Ecclesiastes 2.7, he says this, he said, I hated life for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me. Everything was futility. It's like striving after the wind. You can't catch the wind. It's not just Solomon, Elijah too. If you remember Elijah and his, his account there on, on Mount Carmel, where he, he, he confronts the prophets of Baal, he rains fire down from the sky and, and to, to, to liberate the, the, the Israelites from, from falling into false worship. And then just a chapter later, and I think it's 1 Kings 18, 1 Kings 19, he's, chased, he's being chased by Jezebel hiding under a juniper tree. You know, the raining fire down from the sky on top of the earth. God's one of God's most powerful prophets. He's 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 on the, he's he's on top of the world. In the very next chapter, he's he's running from the queen. And it said in First Kings nineteen four, it says he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came down, sat under the juniper tree, and he he Elijah he requested for himself that he might die. 
And what about Jonah? Jonah's the same thing. Asked to do something he didn't want to do, only to get swallowed by a big fish, <coughs> then to be vomited up on the very land of, 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 of the shores of the land that he didn't want to go. And asked to do something he didn't want to do with the people he despised. Jonah, in, in Jonah 4.8, it says, it, it says Jonah wanted to die, and he said it would be better for me to die than live. That's that lie we just talked about. Paul, too. It's not just the Old Testament, guys. Paul. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it's, we find Paul saying, for, for we do want, want you to be unaware, brethren, of the afflictions that came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. So here are four examples of believers, followers of God, men of God, who in life circumstances got to be so much, when they're faced with loss and trials, they wanted to die. The great testimony of their lives is, is, is that they said no. They decided to press on and endure. Solomon, he pressed on. Elijah pressed on. Jonah, he pressed on. And, and lives were changed. Paul, too, he pressed on. You know, Paul, he despaired even of life. But, but, but when we continue to read, it says that, that indeed we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but rely on God who raises the dead. You know, Paul and his companions, they were finding hope in the midst of their struggles and their circumstances by leaning into God and relying on his promises. And we, too, should follow that example. And, and, and Paul tells us why we don't lose heart. He says, for these but momentary light afflictions, producing in us eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. This is one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 4.17. Commit it to memory. It's a message of hope in this verse. Because there's two things that Paul's saying. First, Paul's reminding us that the circumstances we find ourselves in are momentary and they will pass. But also notice that the afflictions create something new in us that, that wouldn't be there otherwise. In other words, the, the hard things of life aren't for naught. They serve a purpose. And ultimately, they're, they're preparing us for eternity. You know, Paul, he's going to go on to write the words, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's pointing us through our trials, through our circumstances, through our loss, and to Jesus Christ and the hope of his cross. You know, and, and just like these four examples, when we lose hope, we've got to press on. So if you're listening tonight and you're in, and you find yourself in overwhelming circumstances, just let me tell you, press on. If you've suffered, if you've suffered great loss, press on. Lean into God. If you're in the midst of what seems like an overwhelming trial, press on through it. Press on because God's not done with you. He will use you. Don't confuse the moment that you find yourself in with the entire story of your life. Press on through the trials, through the loss, and and when you do, hope. I promise you, hope will be restored. There's another reason, though, that why Christians wrestle, and this has to do with legalism. I gotta go really fast because because we're running out of time. You know, maybe I'll do a, a longer episode on this and hit up legalism in, in more depth. Legalism is this idea that our salvation depends on how well we perform as we overlay a system of do's and don'ts on top of the grace of God. But 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 we don't ever measure up. <laughs> That's the point of the gospel, guys. Like we don't measure up to the standard of the law and the legalists, they want to hold, hold themselves and oftentimes others and, and, and hang salvation in, into the mix uh, the, uh, to the standard of the law. Like you have to obey perfectly the standard of law, but we can't do that. Nobody can stand before a holy and a just God. It's a psalmist that says, out of the depths I've cried to you, hear my voice. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand, but there is forgiveness with you. This is the point of the gospel, guys. There's not one person who can live up to the standard of the law. And when we lean towards legalism, we exhaust ourselves in the hopelessness because we constantly miss the mark. But more than that, when we tie our salvation to performance, we lose sight of who we are, children of God, and life gets unbearable and God becomes this far off being who we can, who, 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 who we can never reach or, or even worse, he becomes this angry father. But friends, Christian, if you're listening to me right now, and, and, and we, we have to remind ourselves, yes, we all fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners, but equally true are the words of King David. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God doesn't mark our iniquities because nobody could stand before him if he did. It's not about living by a set of rules. God's love for his children, for me and you, if you're a Christian, for me and you, it's not swayed. His love's not swayed by our performance. Paul says that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
it's and it's actually out of legalism, and maybe this is where I'll have to end the show, but it's out of legalism that one of the most common questions that I'm asked uh, finds its beginning. Can a Christian who dies by suicide still go to heaven? You see, there's this idea that a Christian who dies by suicide can't go to heaven because they weren't able to repent or confess of their sin. Well, here's the truth of the matter. According to the Bible, according to the, the true story of reality, the manner in which a person dies has no determination as to a, a, a person, uh, their eternal destiny, whether they go to heaven or hell. If an unsaved person dies by suicide, it wasn't the suicide that determines their eternal destiny. If a Christian dies by suicide, it's not the suicide that determines their destiny. Where a person spends eternity is determined by one factor and one factor only. Did that person accept or reject Jesus Christ? You see, our hope, it's not found in our repentance. It's found in an unwavering relationship with the Redeemer God and the Son of Heaven. Guys, yes, suicide is a serious sin. And just because God forgives our sins, it doesn't give us an excuse to pursue sin. We never, ever pursue sin. Paul addresses this in Romans 5 and 6. May it never be, is what he says. But I just want to become convinced, just as Paul was, that neither life nor death, neither angels nor principalities, nothing's present, nothing's to come, no powers, no heights, no depths, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's in these things that ultimate hope is found, guys. You know, it's in these things. I've got like two or three minutes to, to maybe try to just briefly answer the, what can we do? You know, the first thing is, is to remember that, that, you're, that you're not alone. There are a lot of people who can help. Find a, a pastor. If you're struggling right now, I'm going to tell you, you got to do something really difficult. I know you're struggling, but you got to talk to somebody. You got to talk to a counselor, a pastor, a teacher, a friend. You have to find somebody to talk to. You know, one of the lies that we face as Christians is that life isn't going to be as hard as it is, but life is stinking hard, guys. I know it is. But this is why the my this is this is why the uh, the, the 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 promise, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness, is so important. It's Paul who says that I'd rather boast about my weakness. For Christ's sake, he says, for 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 when I'm weak, what then I'm strong. It's okay to talk to each other about our struggles and our weaknesses. This is one of the most beautiful things about the, the community of God, actually. We, we should be available for one another. And this is what I was talking about to Andrew when he called in just like a half hour ago. And, and, and with this on our minds, you know, if, if, if you have a friend who's confided in you that they're thinking about suicide, you have to talk to somebody. And, and you can't make promises that you can't keep and say that you won't tell anyone. You need to. And trust me, that person will, will ultimately thank you for your faithfulness and love as you might have to put their well-being above your friendship, you know, which leads to the question, can, can I tell if someone is, is thinking about suicide? Yeah, there's certain signs. If there's like aggressive and rebellious behavior, lack of interest in regular activities, um, they're missing lots of school. Lots of work, change in eating habits and weight fluctuation, feel, weight fluctuations, feeling guilty and fatigued or persistent boredom. If they're writing letters or giving stuff away, if they're expressing um, <laughs> uh, like hopelessness of certainly helplessness, worthlessness, you know, change in sleep habits and sexual habits. And, you know, if they're preparing for death, like, what do you do? 988, guys. It's a good stopgap, but then you have to talk to somebody. You got to find that person help. You got to you got to say, "Hey, I, do you want me to talk to the pastor, or do you want to talk to the pastor? Do you want me to call the counselor, or do you want to call the counselor?" So if you notice these trends in a, in a friend, you you just got to talk to them. And then, and if you're worried about somebody, what do you do? This is what you do. You have to ask them a question. If you're worried about somebody and and, and dying by suicide, you have to ask the question: Are you thinking about suicide? used to be the social convention is that you didn't want to use that word because somehow you're going to move them towards the suicide. And that's actually not true. And the research is, is, is showing it's the exact opposite. When you use that word, not only do you get rid of any gray area, but also the chances of that person then dying by suicide plummet. You know, so, so let me wrap up here in the last minute or so. I just want to remind you guys that you're created in the image of God. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He calls you by name and he's ordered all the days of your life. He loves you so much that he gave his only son for you and he will use you in his master plan. And if we look to the world for answers, I want you to remember that Satan's a liar. Jesus said that Satan's a murderer from the beginning and does not stand with the truth because there's no truth in him. 
know, Satan will lie to you about your identity. He will lie to you to destroy your life. But it's Jesus. Jesus says that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. So let me encourage you just to press on if you're in struggles. If suicide is an option for you, you got to take it off the table because you're valuable. You're beautiful. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. If you're a Christian, uh, you're incredible. You're, you're destined for heavenly rule. And, uh, and this, is where, this is where ultimate hope is found. And you got to press on through your trials, through your loss. And I promise you hope will be restored when you do. So with that, guys, I think my time is up here. It's been good being with you. Uh, this has been Apologetics.com Radio, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. My name is John Noyes, and I'll see or we'll hear from you again, hopefully, in, uh, in a week's time. Have a wonderful night. Bye-bye. This morning's broadcast of Apologex.com sponsored by Apologex.com on 99.5 KKLA.